In episode one, we heard our external expectations weren't particularly high heading into the 2013-14 season, but a consistent, talented squad led by Russell Slade had other ideas. Those in charge at Brisbane Road have been building a squad that they thought could challenge against the might and budget of teams like Sheffield United, Wolves, Brentford and Rotherham. Orient headed into pre-season settled and quietly confident, but no one could have realistically predicted what was to come. In this episode, we go from pre-season through to some of the most glorious games and moments in our club's history. From the people who were there, this is E10 Mess with From Brunton Park to Wembley Way, the story of the 2013-14 season. Part 2, A Rising Power in the East. goalkeeper coach and chief scout Leighton Orient the emergence of, of Moses Odebadju was a massive plus and we just felt that we you know we not only needed one or two and that we'd be able to have a you know a decent run at the playoffs obviously the season went probably better than we, we really thought it would do um, but, but we did feel that we finished this previous season strong and we didn't need loads um, to make us competitive. Johnny Davis, uh, media and communications manager, he got a lot of the, the business done quite early that summer. Um, by the time the players came back for pre-season, there, was, there wasn't too many pieces of the jigsaw to put in. Um, I remember there was some... quite Because I think we got Romain Vincelo and people like that, we got those in. I remember he signed... Um, fairly early that summer, which was a real big plus. Um, so it all felt good on the playing side. I'm uh, Romain Vincelo. I'm a midfielder. I wanted to come back to uh, to London if possible. So I knew that uh, Leighton Orient was uh, was interested, and uh, East uh, East London was uh, um, the area where I, I came uh, in England first with uh, Diana and Redbridge. So I lived. Uh, I used to live. Um, in uh, Leytonstone and um, we really enjoyed it with uh, with my wife so I was thinking well after Brighton um, I'd love to come back somewhere um, somewhere we, we, we used to, to enjoy just to uh, you know to, to, to get that good feeling again and uh, so when I knew that uh, Leighton was interested and uh, Russell was following me for, 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 for a bit of time um I was thinking, oh, that could be that could be good. That so um, I really that was the, the priority, and then we we found an agreement. Pre-season was just about fine-tuning, really, not introducing and, and integrating players. 
pre-season was more about fine-tuning everything to get the way Russ and Kev wanted us to play um, and, and go from there, really. Then I was thinking, ah, you know, if if uh, if we stay together as a group next season, I think we can have a go. Uh, of course, we, we're not favourite or but we could be a good um, yeah, um, good contender because there was quality um, and I thought, you know what, I have a good feeling and uh, and the, the 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 place was really positive. We we had a good end of the season. We were not far too far off the the, the playoffs position. So I just thought, ah, if we can find um, uh, an agreement, um, I think I, I I've got a good feeling to sign here. And that's um, what happened. Um, yeah, I signed a three-year deal, and um, we had uh, this uh, amazing season. The team was set. There were barely any new players and barely any question marks over the team. Week in, week out, most fans could guess the team sheet before it came out. They had almost all played alongside each other before and they instinctively knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. By the time they all got back together for pre-season in July 2013, they picked up exactly where they had left off in the season before, when they made a late surge for the playoffs, only to fall short by one place. But before a ball was kicked, they were already sick of being written off. Dean Cox, left midfield. I remember when I got interviewed and I, I let them have it after the game that no one fancies. That's right, I remember it. We all remembered that. And actually, Russell made a, a big point of that actually in training. Look, near enough on the first day, he put a, you know, he liked his uh, team videos and he put it up on the uh, big screen and we're all sitting there and we looked at it and the book it. I think we were, I might have been third, third favourite to go down. And he just put it up there and he just said, look, this is what people were thinking. He said, no way are we going to be. There's just no way. Scott Cuthbert, defender. Yeah, I think that's one thing with with Leighton Orient is people seem, to, people seem to write you off before you've even begun. When pre-season started, it just... It, I've said it so many times to other people, it's one of those pre-seasons where everything just fell into place and the team just from the off even in the pre-season games, we were playing some good stuff and it just felt like there was something really good about to happen. And it was hard. It, like, looking at it now, you can see it. But at the time, you just thought, oh, well, we're, we're back here and we're going to give it another go. But when you actually sit back and think of it, we, uh, it was just, it was, that, that was just our year to, to, to do something well. I was quite confident which was unusual for me because normally as an Orient fan I go into seasons fearing the worst but I did have a a good feeling about the pre I can't remember too many of the pre-season games but I remember that we although you can't read too much into it normally we did hammer a couple of teams and um, I think it was one of them as well the sort of like I said there wasn't too many question marks you know everyone sort of knew you could probably pick most, if you asked 10 people what the starting 11 would be probably 9 had pick um, pick the same team so a lot of the the pieces were in place and uh, yeah, I was unusually confident When the fixtures were drawn a 600 mile round trip to Carlisle for the first game didn't fill anyone with much excitement but that didn't affect the players On a sunny August day at Brunton Park we started the season as we meant to go on pre-season had finished and we were ready We went into the season fairly boring I remember I actually remember sitting on, on the bench at Carlisle first game of the season and uh, Kev Nugent said to me, he said, you know, we'll take a draw here. And I said, yeah, two right, we'll take a draw. 
you know, and we end up winning winning five one. And that just sort of like gave everybody a, a load of confidence, and that was it. Off we went. Monday, Victor, and uh, thanks to Johnny Davis, I'm also known as Dulcet Dave via my Twitter handle. Well, to be honest, it was um, it was a bit emotional for me. Um, BBC Radio Cumbria had a, a, a commentator called Derek Lacey, who was a, a lovely, lovely man. He'd passed away, and uh, it felt very strange going um, back to uh, the ground. And um, he had a little lampshade that he had in the um, uh, the press box, um, and it was something you know, just one of his little things, and that wasn't there anymore. Um, so it's a bit emotional for me. He was a man that um, I liked very much, and um, uh, to, then the performance was was remarkable. It, it, it really was remarkable um, because late. I know that Carlo finished with um, ten men, but um, it, it, you couldn't take anything away from late. Noir. It just clicked, and I think Russell Slade. If if memory serves me right, Russell Slade had had a terrible one of opening day. Um, uh, defeats in his managerial career, both at the Orient but also at his previous club, and I think it went back to um, Yeovil from memory. Um, so it was it was good from Russell's point of view to get the season off and underway in style. I miss a lot of pre-season to be fair, uh, which isn't really good for me because I need the running in me to get me going. Uh, so uh, it was a bit, like I said, a bit of a setback, but um, got back and Russ just kept saying just. Just slow down, and I kept saying to him, "Look, I want, I want, I want to be involved." And uh, I remember as well, the physios didn't want me to be involved, and I actually had to uh, go and see Russ. And I just said, "Look, Russ, it, it isn't a hundred percent." I said, "But I, I just want to be on the bench, and if you need me, I'll come on." And I was, I literally had to beg him, really. Um, and he put me on the bench, and then yeah, I mean, he put me on, and lo and behold, I go and score two. So it's, it's funny how it sort of. Uh, it started, but um, no, I mean, I worked really hard to get there and I wanted it. I wanted to start the season and, and, and be involved, you know. All I remember really was um, what happened with Clarkey because um, obviously he got that real nasty head injury quite early on and I couldn't really get any clear information about what happened to him and I was getting, you know, Chinese whispers on. Um, I could see on the Twitter that were coming through people saying that half an hour later he was all unconscious and everything like this. So I was really quite worried and shaken up by that really um obviously as the time went on we got good news that um that he was, he'd gone straight to hospital and was fine uh, so i remember that i remember there's some really good goals we scored um and then the coach journey home because it was such a long journey um but we went to get we had to go and pick up clarky from the hospital on the on the way back and um yeah he came out and he was still doing his kit that he uh, he had on from when he went went to hospital, just had a, a few bruises and a couple of black eyes. I remember when we stopped at a service station on the way home and there was a few sort of puzzled looks. I think we got a Burger King or something and he was just standing in the queue still in his full kit. I think he still had his boots on as well. So, yeah, it was a good uh, good long trip home, that one. Yeah, he come in, he looked like he'd been beaten up on the side of the road. Yeah, bloody hell, bless him. Yeah, he come in battered and bruised. I remember that. We had the next day off and he he come in as if nothing happened. And, you know, he was, he was a very good captain for us. Very, very, very good. Yeah, obviously that sets the tone for the for the season. You want, you're obviously wanting to, to start the season well. 
you want to go off to a good start as any team does and Carlisle's always a tough place to go they're always a, a strong side at Carlisle so um, to do that to do it in the manner which we did gave us gave us that little bit of belief going forward Whilst the 5-1 victory was somewhat unexpected at the time in hindsight it was a clear sign of things to come Inexplicably Orient just kept on winning Shrewsbury 3-0 Stevenage 1-0 Crew 2-0 and before you knew it we'd equaled our best ever start to a season and sat top of the League 1 table Colchester were the only thing between us and breaking that record, so we travelled up the A12 to the soulless industrial state where their ground sits and filled the away end, the sun beating down on the jubilant O's fans. I remember that game, it was a hot day, we packed out behind that goal, I remember it well. We only had to wait 12 minutes. Cox sent Mooney through on goal and the marksman scored his fifth of the season, but a former O's favourite tried to ruin the party. Jabu Abira equalised just before half time. The game was evenly poised. Orient fans started to wonder if this was the end of the streak. That was until, like countless times that season, Dean Cox picked up the ball on the left while Kevin Lisby lurked in the box. Getting to the byline, chipping it at the back post and he headed it in. Um, it was just an absolute dream. It was only the 63rd minute, but it felt like a last minute winner as the Orient faithful heaved forward as one to try to grasp towards the goal scorer in pure joy as he ran the length of the stand, mobbed by his teammates. The Orient fans roared the team on until the final whistle and we'd done it. The players danced in front of us, and Russell Slade pumped his fist. So that was five out of five. I think then after that, you know, I still remember walking over, clapping to the fans, and you just thought then, you know, you get back in the dressing room and you're thinking, that's five out of five. We're passing teams to death. They're not getting anywhere near us. And you just thought, you know what? I think I kept saying it. If everyone stayed fit, I was thinking, you know what? We have definitely got half a chance here this season. Um, and I remember the, the gaffer giving again another one of his speeches um, which he was very good at I think he's very well known I think obviously the fans probably know um, his speech after the game was quite an emotional one and one that he you know sort of set the lads a target and uh, each each month we, we had a points target and you know if we if, if we didn't achieve that then the following month we had to achieve more being surprised with the um, you know not not making justice to others because it would be like, oh, you don't think we are good enough. But obviously, you just, you know, in football, in any sport, I guess, you, you just realize, you know, game after game where you are, how good you are. And uh, I think, yeah, what, one game, two games, three games, four games, we just think, yeah, this is not luck or anything. Just, yeah, if we can keep that going, yeah, we all them wins, uh, we, we deserved it. And because we are good. Uh, a good team and uh, playing well and um, so the, the, the aim you know when you start the season is just to, to do well you don't you know say yeah, we want to be top of the table by uh, by November but obviously there was you know the best start you can uh, you can dream of record breakers but this team wasn't satisfied Port Vale 3-2 Notts County 5-1 7 out of 7 all of a sudden the O's were creating a buzz people were talking about us and that included the media. We turned down some things that were, you know, were a bit too, bit too far sometimes. Um, in terms of, oh, I remember once. Well, I think when we won seven games, someone wanted to do a magnificent, magnificent seven photo shoot, and they talked about. I think they wanted to get the manager and a couple of players on horseback, dressed up as cowboys, um, that sort of thing. So we said no to that. As much as everyone would have loved to have seen Russell Slade on horseback, he was focused on the biggest game of the season so far, and one that everyone looks for when the fixtures come out. Brentford away. 
Orient hadn't won at Griffin Park since 1993. 20 years. I remember standing at the back of that decrepit away terrace just two years before, watching us collapse to a 5-0 loss. Surely this is where the win streak ended. But this Orient team was different to that one. Live on Sky Sports, we marched out on a warm Monday night. And we only went and done them. The night at Brentford, Sean Bat on fire and uh, David Mooney with that penalty kick. And um, that was something very special. Aidan Martin, kick man, Brentford away. <laughs> Uh, live on Sky when Batty when Batty put the ball in I think the, the commentator goes you know, the and the turn to Deirdre that night and that's this this statement's come back to haunt me and I said to Deirdre I think we're going to use all our luck up in one season and I don't think it was luck to be one game but it's just more like saying that we're playing so well that I said we're just going to be unlucky for the next 10 seasons it's the Orient way we've been really really good this season and it's all going to fall apart the following season because we cut the break for the 1-3-0 uh, we're smashing teams home we're smashing teams away we hadn't lost at that point either I think teams were were struggling um, to to get the grips of what we were doing and a lot of teams would come to Brisbane Road and play 4-5-1 and sit behind the ball and hope that you know they, they'd suck up the pressure and, and hit us on the counter attack but um, you know we were finding ways of scoring at all times um, and that night especially obviously I remember Sean back coming off the bench again and he got played through and scored and, and Moon scored the penalty um, you know we, we, we were winning ugly and we were also winning well um, and that's a sign of a good team when, when you're not you're not up to it or you know you're not at your fluent best because not every game can you be fluent I think you know every manager and team and players would like to play the passing game and, and win comfortably but uh, we found ways to win and we had so many match winners as well I think that that's what uh, got us to where we got to I think as well I mean Mo if we're desperate for a goal Liz would create something out of absolutely nothing can score and, and Moon's had the, the spectacular finishes uh, but yeah Ronan, Ronan Vince Lott, you know would, would, would score a header from a corner or uh, Lloydie would get one from the edge of the box. There was there was goals all over the place. You know, it was very well shared that season. I was buzzing after the Brentford game. It really was a, a very special performance. I must admit, it never occurred to me that we'd be invincible. Uh, and you know, this is late night, and I thought that it could all go wrong the following week. But it did surprise me uh, how it just continued to go. It felt like from strength to strength. That amazing night in West London would be the end of the winning run as Orient drew their next two games but continued to remain unbeaten for 12. A remarkable feat. The first defeat came away at Coventry who were playing their home games at Northampton Sixfield Stadium after the dispute with their ground owners. The game ended with a huge thunderstorm erupting above us as Orient went down 3-1. But our spirits weren't dampened and neither were the teams. And even after that game, everyone was so upbeat still. It's almost like we've got, we've got, we've got the monkey off our backs that we were unbeaten. And I think the next game we were at home and we won. So straight away we got back into the groove again. After beating Rotherham in a hard-fought 1-0 home victory, we still sat top of the table. Peterborough were second and our next opponents. Unlike Orient, they were fancy before the season started. And despite our strong start, we were still being talked about as a flash in the pan. We'd won 12 of the first 15 games and yet still, people were writing us off. But they weren't writing us off for long. 1,666 O's fans raised the roof that day and every one of them will remember that game and that performance forever. 
I remember uh, being in the tunnel um, and a few of their lads were saying, come on, boys, you know, giving it, this is going to be easy. And I sort of looked around and thinking, oh, see, people are, they, they were still underestimating us. And I think, um, you know, we, we walked out and I thought we passed them to death. Um, the, the only disappointing thing was we conceded, but like you said, I mean, we played ever so well that day. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that was, I can't remember, was that mid-season-ish? I think people were waiting for us to sort of, you know, fall off. And, uh, you know, that, that, that result was another one that stood out that, you know, people thinking, do you know what, you know, that, that they're in this and, you know, they're sticking to it, you know. I think we went one nil down there. We won 3-1. I think that day David Mooney was completely unplayable. You know, that was a, that was an excellent game. I watched I watched the second half. Well, I did watch the second half when we went after half time when we tied up the dressing room, getting ready for when they finished the game so it's not too dirty. I came out um, and I was too nervous. I'm, I'm a really bad watcher of the football game. Really bad. I still am. And I spent the next 25 minutes in the dressing room hearing goals going in and not knowing who scored them. And I came out when I heard a cheer and we were 2-1 up, came out and heard the 3-1 up is incredible. We used to get a couple of DVDs of the game um, from the opposition. And that's the only time I've ever come home and um, with my flatmate, my flatmate Andrew Conquest, who's not a fan of my flatmate at the time. And we both, I said, just sit down and let's just watch this. And it's the only time I've ever watched the game back straight away. But the quality of the football and uh, the quality of the goals was astonishing. David Mooney at his absolute best. Um, and everything seemed to be going in. And, and he, he is such a confidence player. And his confidence was sky high. And he was doing things that you thought were impossible and they were coming off. And, you, you know, each goal that was going in was better than the, the, the one before. Uh, and, and that really was peak David Mooney. But as a team performance, it really was top of the shop. As an Orient fan, you're naturally pessimistic. This will end soon and we'll go back to being crap. But I'd never seen an Orient performance like that. It looked like a different club to the one I was used to. It was easily the best away performance I'd ever seen from an Orient team. And you couldn't help but start to believe as you walked out of the ground that this was for real. So once we won at Peterborough and once I convinced them, then we won well at Swindon as well. Suddenly you're thinking we're nearly halfway through the season here and we're still up there. So I think that was when it started to really become real. I remember playing Swindon. Um... I was playing Swindon maybe Christmas time and when Moons scored that lob he lobbed the goalkeeper I think it was that game and uh, after the game Kevin Lisby was like I think we can do this do you know there was this kind of realisation that we could do that Swindon away uh, in the dressing room we uh, Russ liked this one song if we had won he'd like this one song on and uh, he uh, He'd try and dance. Uh, he had his he had his little dance moves, and uh, if if I could have got that on film, I, I would have loved to have had it. Brilliant, it was absolutely brilliant. The gaffer dancing in front of the whole old dressing room, just sitting down, and he's in the middle just dancing. It was uh, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. On Christmas Day, we were still top of the league, hot on our heels with Wolverhampton Wanderers, a team that were playing the likes of Man United, and Liverpool in the Premier League just two seasons before. On the 29th of December, over 28,000 fans piled towards the ground for a League One game. 
Walking through the city centre, every pub displayed home fans only signs. As you walked into the stadium, the sun shone onto the lower tier of the Steve Ball stand, filled with Orient fans who were spread the length of the pitch and dwarfed by two huge stands behind both goals. They did a song at the start, I think it was to the, the Hi-Ho Silver Lining chair. I'm thinking, blimey, that is loud. So it was 30,000 people at that game. The Orient team emerged, patched up, tired. We started badly, and honestly, it was all one-way traffic. Wolves took the lead and should have had two, three, four more in that first half. But a phrase was born that day, one that was plastered on the dressing room wall until the end of the season. In Russell Slade's post-match interview, he noted that this group never gives up. We went to Wolves' top of the table and I think we were really stretched. The injuries really were beginning to, to show. A bit of a patched up team from memory. Uh, I think we had, I think Jake Larkins played in goal, didn't he? Because we just won at Gillingham before that. Um, and yeah, I think we lost Romain at half time as well. And that they'd, they'd started so strong. Um, so it was amazing to, to come away with it, um, with a point. And uh, I think that really gave everyone some belief as well and it was really good for the whole squad I guess because you know there was people that players that maybe hadn't featured as much because the squad the team had been so settled but they they came in and, and everyone played their part an absolute onslaught and then Matthew Baldry uh, steps up with I mean again like I said goals from from all over the place you know we it's not just myself Moons uh, Kev and uh, and Moses um, very important goal a very important goal well taken yeah we took an onslaught but again we we, we kept going and we took the point you know and, and Russ, Russ is saying sometimes we respect the point you know going away for them was always going to be an uphill battle whether we were in the league or if we were near the top like we were or, or, or down the bottom you know but we've gone there respect the point and you know we had to work hard for it, but you know the spirit got us through and got us it. I think that was the group of characters up against the wall, up against the odds. They dug really, really deep, and you saw that this was a proper team because it was a team effort to get that point at Wolves, and it was a massive point. I think Russell Slade um, sort of raced back to the BBC studios to uh, appear on uh, the TV that night and you know everybody was talking about late night. With January in sight, the fans started to wonder who we were going to bring in to cover the injuries and suspensions that were at risk of being our only downfall with such a small squad. But like in the summer, the management believed in who we already had and signings were limited. The only new face brought in on a permanent basis was striker Chris Dagnall. My name's Matt Porter. I was Chief Executive of Leighton Orient between 2006 and 2014. I remember there being a bit of criticism that we didn't really strengthen the squad in January for that extra push, but I think that was... There wasn't really anything we wanted to do, you know? I mean, you don't just go and sign a player for the sake of it. They've got to fit into the pattern, they've got to fit into the dressing room, and they've got to be the right acquisition for the club. And there wasn't really anybody out there who Russ came to us and said, I need this guy to get us over the line. We had confidence in what we had in the dressing room. We knew that Brentford and Wolves would come strong, and we knew we were the best of the rest. So it was a question of saying, can we stay within that top two? And if not, can we finish third? And we achieved that. And, and I don't think perhaps it, you know one further acquisition would have made much of a difference there. One area that we had to address was between the sticks. Number one, Jamie Jones was out until April. And although Jake Larkins had shone at Wolves, we needed experience at the back. 
That led to the dawn of a long-haired Orient cult hero, Eldin Jakupovic. His attitude and his personality was first class. Uh, he loved it. He, he, he loved the training. He loved the lads. He loved playing the football. You know, it was perfect for, for him and perfect for us. And it was just a shame that the way it worked out, that we couldn't see through with Eldin, really. With Eldin in goal, we won all four games in January, conceding just one goal. But then it happened. It happened on the 28th of January at Selhurst Park. Now, I remember driving home, I think I was listening to Jamie Hill, who was doing the commentary of Crystal Palace against Hull City uh, for BBC Radio London. I was listening to the closing stages of the game, and then I heard that Roger East had sent off Alan McGregor, the Hull City goalkeeper, stoppage time. It was for an overreaction after a late challenge on the goalkeeper. And when I heard that he got a red card, I thought, I bet the next call is going to be for Jan Jakubowicz. And that's what happened. And I think, um, you know, it was the number one spot, which um, was a bit of a problem until we got... Uh, uh, Jakubovic on loan from Hull City and I think uh, his departure really was uh, something we struggled at. Jamie Jones wasn't uh, fully fit um, but um, you know he, he was the goalkeeper we needed um, and I think he was the difference between success and failure in the end. I think Deardo phoned up and said can you not recall him because he's not going to be first choice, he's going back to sit on a bench. Eldon did great um, and then as you say unluckiest red card ever for, for McGregor and, and they called Eldin back and you know it's no you know we lose the next string Ben Anik played at Rotherham but um, you know we since found out that he wasn't really in, in the best place to be playing in that game um, and and we lost that in the last minute so then Ben couldn't play and you know it was really I wouldn't say panic stations, but we we had to get someone in with a little bit of experience. And, uh, you know, we felt Sean Jalal could do it, but after two games, it, it became fairly obvious that um, that was too much for him as well. So uh, we had to go back to Eldin, and, uh, and the issue with going back to Eldin was that we knew that if we took Eldin in then, he wouldn't be available should we get into the playoffs. Um, but it was a decision that we felt we had to make at that time because the team needed settling down and they were they had total confidence in, in Eldin. And so that was why we brought him back at that stage. But it was too late. A spell of four losses and a draw in February, combined with the unrelenting dominance of Brentford and Wolves, meant that Orient started falling behind for the first time that season. It was almost like gravity, pulling us down until a home defeat at Brentford in March resigned us to the playoffs. I think, you know, with, without being brutal, that, that's, what, that's what didn't get us promoted automatic. You know, that, that is the be-all end-all. We, we, I think we run out of steam. I think we just run out of steam and um, we couldn't seem to just maintain that um, quality that we were showing from the start. Um, and we paid the price for it. Wolves had a £22 million playing budget that season and Brentford had about £8 million or something like that and we were at just over £2 million. So expectation-wise, we'd overachieved. Um, for, in, for, from a general footballing perspective, 
internally, as I said, we, we'd finished where we thought we were going to finish as best of the rest. Of course, you're disappointed you don't go over the line, but I think we lost at home to both Brentford and Wolves in the closing weeks of the season, and it was kind of obvious then that they were stronger than us. Um, and even though we were maybe team of the year in terms of what we managed to achieve that season, they were, on balance, they were better than we were. I think ordinarily we probably would have gone up on our points total, I think we said. I think that was, that was the main the main talking point. We've done so well points-wise, but it wasn't good enough with Brentford and Wolves being there. It wasn't for the lack of trying or the, 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 you know, the lads couldn't handle it. There's no doubt that, that they could handle it. It was... You know, it's just not easy. And I think all teams go through that little spell in the season. Um, but obviously what, what cost us was the fact that, you know, them two were, were so far better than everybody else and kept winning. We'd started the season so well. We were at the top. You then come December time, January time, Wills and Brentford then kick on a bit because they've got the bigger squads, they've got that freshness. And, and they just kind of kicked on and, we, and we, we stumbled and that was probably the only period through the season where we did have a start and it was just unfortunate that we had two really, really strong sides there or thereabouts that were able to capitalise on that and just go on. They seemed like they were just winning, 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 getting the job done. So it is hard when, when teams go in that, getting that frame of mind and getting that winning mentality. It's very, very hard to then to then claw back. I think we had a, a big, uh, big 11, a very good 14 uh, but then it's uh, you know it's the size of the club. It's normal. There is no, nobody to to um, to blame. Uh, unfortunately, when comes February, uh, you, you're very very tired of all the season if you've played uh, almost um, every game. So maybe it plays a it plays a part. But the the, the two teams above did uh, did very well. Yeah. Wolves, I don't know, they finished about 100 points or something like that. And uh, I think uh, Brentford were over 90, 92. Or, so it's, um, it's ahead of a season for, for, for them. And I think we, we did great. Yeah, we had, we had a bit of a struggle at this period. But, you know, uh, size of the of the team maybe can, uh, can explain it. I think resource was probably an issue. But you know, I'm. I still just think, as well. It's just sometimes it's just bad luck. I don't. I don't think we could have done much more that season. Um, you look at the number of points that we got. I mean, I don't know how many years out of ten that would get you automatically promoted. Um, I think 86 points. I think we ended up with. I don't look back and think what you know what more could we have done. I think just got to really sort of appreciate what we did to, to get that many points and, and finish that high was uh, was an unbelievable achievement. But it wasn't over. There's no doubt there was an air of disappointment amongst the players and the fans that we couldn't quite hold on. But the overwhelming feeling was one of pride. The team that was tipped for relegation just nine months before had fought and battled against the odds to record a record-breaking points total. There was no negativity and spirits were still high going into the playoffs. We still had a shot and what a way it would be to get promoted. We just put our focus onto the playoffs and there wasn't really there wasn't much disappointment. It was more excitement at the fact that we had an opportunity to get promoted through the playoffs. It's the best way to get promoted if you can do it. So there was that act. 
a long time ago, but there was no memory of disappointment. There was always still that optimism, still that excitement that there was a possibility that we finished third. We were in form as well because we finished the season well, that there was always a chance that we could do it through the playoffs. You know, promotion is gone. Let's work towards getting promoted in the, through the playoffs now. And we, I think there was a little bit of a relaxation. The pressure was off. We couldn't get promoted. Now, I think we finished the game. We won the last two games of the season. And that gave us that confidence to uh, uh, to kick off into the playoffs. You know, our start had been so good. We'd won eight in a row. And then we, we barely lost a game that we weren't expected to lose, if you like, um, until that spring period. And momentum's so important. I think when you lose it, it can be really difficult to get it back. And I wouldn't say we stuttered over the line because I think we won two of our last three or something like that. But maybe we only won three of our last ten, you know. So the, 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 we weren't the form horse going into the playoffs. On the next episode of From Brunton Park to Wembley Way, the story of the 2013-14 season, we head into the playoffs and a semi-final against the Posh is all that stands between us and Wembley. From Brunton Park to Wembley Way, the story of the 2013-14 season was produced, written and edited by me, Adam Sampson. All original songs are also composed, performed and recorded by Adam Sampson.